Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Words of that song speak my heart today, too. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 23 with the Bible. Perhaps the words of Psalm 23 also speak your heart. That we want to declare our total dependence on the Good Shepherd. I can't sing that song anymore the last couple of years without thinking about a favorite memory of mine at our men's retreat that we have once a year. And during that song, I was pulled aside by a couple of guys because they needed to talk about confession of their sin. And it was such an honest moment. Just pouring out their hearts. There's something about a retreat setting that seems to open those doors a little wider for all of us. And we slow down and invite God to work and to speak. And particularly one young man felt the freedom to do that and the trust that he was among fellow sheep at the leading of the Good Shepherd. He could say in terms of this psalm, was that a place where he could be broken? An interesting thing happens in my experience with people confessing sin and that kind of atmosphere and that kind of heart and that kind of tone is that it's never, in my experience, met with shock and dismay or even disappointment. It's met with grace. And I can specifically remember someone a generation ahead of me listening to this young man And to me, it felt like the face of Jesus receiving him and accepting him in spite of his hurt and his sin. And I think that's how our good shepherd is as we come home. I think it's never an expression of shock. God already knows, doesn't he? But it's an expression of delight when we admit our dependency and we admit our need for forgiveness. Jesus called himself the good shepherd and laid down his life for the sheep. He welcomes all of us to come to him. If you're weary and burdened of your own struggle, of your own attempts to hide it or to reach out or to reach up on your own strength. We celebrate grace today. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able. And I want to invite us to hear afresh Psalm 23. Because it's such a beautiful declaration of our dependence. A king wrote these words. 
Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Oh yeah, and what's more, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) We have a lot to celebrate. (laughs) Please be seated. And may God bless the reading of his word among us. It's something so old, but something so new and so fresh and so needed for all of us. I felt impressed to bring to you this psalm for a few weeks as we open up the new year and to consider something that is so ancient because it has something so new to say to 2023. If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that we really don't know what's ahead in this year. And because of God's leadership, can we just say together in faith, that's okay? I mean, do you really believe that? A lot of stuff that we sort of wish we could control the outcome of or the circumstances, but the truth is we're going to look at our Savior. and We're going to stay close enough to him to just keep hearing his voice one step at a time. Last week, I shared with you a little outline for where we're going. And last week, I talked about how it's important for us to be actually on the go in following our shepherd. And I pointed out the fact that in this psalm, there's some words that imply movement. Even this idea of God being our shepherd means what? Well, it means that we're not penned up, stationary. It means that we're going somewhere, right? We need a shepherd because we're in motion to guide us to places of feeding and rest and places of safety and shelter, especially in those times of darkness and uncertainty. We may not see the path ahead, but as we choose to stay close, as we choose to move as he moves, not to stay put. In fact, if the shepherd goes, look at these words, he leads me, he guides me, I'm walking. (laughs) As he goes, if we're not obedient to follow, we're going to lose touch with what he is saying. We can't hear it. And so part of this declaration of dependence means, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. And that's Jesus' invitation, isn't it? Follow me. Come, follow me. I offered some thoughts last week of how important that is for a whole church, that we learn how to do this really well, that as God says go, that we go, and that we follow and stay close enough to the shepherd to keep hearing him. This morning I want to focus on something different. I'm not going to get very far in the psalm, just like I didn't last week. (laughs) But the next couple of verses imply something different. There's a time for movement, and there's a time for stillness. You know, discipline, of course, is about doing the right things. But it's not just about doing the right things. It's about doing the right things at the right time. In our immaturity, sometimes we want to do the right things, but we want to do them at the wrong time. For example, kids who don't want to go to bed. 
<laughs> right? I mean, there's a time for activity, but there's a time to be still, and there's a time to work, and there's a time to rest. Discipline is about doing the right things at the right time. So immaturity looks like when it's time to work, you want to rest, and when it's time to rest, you want to work. And what we're really talking about, I think, in Psalm 23 is submission. It's admitting the ownership of the good shepherd over us to call the shots. Because we don't always feel like resting when it's time to rest. And in our immaturity, we don't always feel like working when it's time to work. We don't always feel like stopping when he says to stop. We don't always feel like going when he says to go. But that's what following the shepherd really is. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. And so to discipline us as sheep, to be obedient, to hear, to follow, and sometimes to stop and to be still. Because if the shepherd's not going anywhere and we start going somewhere, we're going to wander too far off that we can't hear the shepherd. (laughs) Did you have any kids that didn't want to go to bed at the right time? I love this phrase, he makes me lie down. It sounds so parental to me, right? Pitter-patter, pitter-patter, come the little feet down the hall. I can't sleep. Of course you can't sleep. You're on your feet. You're supposed to be laying down. Your eyes are open. Your mouth is moving. Close your mouth. Close your eyes. (laughs) Give sleep a shot. It's a discipline to follow the Lord, and it's a discipline to be in obedience to the good shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. He refreshes my soul. I want to frame my thoughts about these phrases and this need that we all have to be beside quiet waters for a while around three questions. So I'm not going to give you three points. I'm going to offer you three questions and invite you to pray about those. Maybe in the balance of this day of quiet waters of Sabbath rest, you'll take some time just to reopen these questions, to reopen the scripture and say, Lord, what are my answers to these questions? Or even in the next few minutes as I'm speaking, you might already know the answer to these questions. I don't know, but let's try them on. One, is your life controlled by your stress or by your shepherd? (laughs) Clearing the throats. It's getting uncomfortable in here. We live in a day and age where far too many people are trying to do far too much in far too little time. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) The stress in this world is amazing. Are you overloaded? Are you weary? Are you tired? And if so, I guess the right question would be, did we get there because we were staying close to the shepherd and the shepherd is running us ragged? I mean, you don't have to answer again. You can, you, know, you can take your time later to answer this. But the pattern of Jesus as you open the Gospels is so interesting to watch our good shepherd and see what he did. He just always had time for conversation, especially open the book of John. And look at those extended conversations and the anxiety of the disciples at times that, Jesus, why are you talking to this person? We have so much to do. 
Jesus, why are you still? Why, why did you go away? The whole town of Capernaum is banging on the door, and there's so many people to heal. And No, no, the Father says move on. Wait a minute. And Jesus' pace just seems to be so different. Um, Lazarus, his family, Jesus, you're late in showing up. He's already dead. <laughs> the pace of Jesus just seems different than what you and I might expect. And so it's all the more important that we listen and that we heed, that we slow down whenever Jesus says to slow down. It feels like a badge of honor to say that you're busy in this culture. Almost feels like if somebody asks you if you're busy or if you had a busy day and you say no, that it's almost an indictment. What's wrong with you? You mean you weren't busy? Aren't you supposed to be busy? You remember what your parents said, right? Don't just sit there. Do something. But the message of Jesus is often, don't just do something. Sit there. And it's hard for us to do sometimes. And it takes all that we can to just be still in God's presence. The reality is we all have the same amount of time in any given day. We all have the same number of days in a given week. We all have the same number of weeks in a given year. And here we are still at the fairly the beginning of a new year. And we think about those things maybe not too often, not often enough. That it's all about the stewardship of our time. Is it really true that we don't have time to read the Bible? Is that really true? really true that we don't have time to pray, that we don't have time to sit with a friend who's struggling to pray with them? Is it really true? Well, if you feel at all like the donkey in that picture, I just want you to know I'm speaking from my own life and my own experience. (laughs) Many of you have heard my story about sabbatical and how important that's been to me and important it's been to be not needed during certain seasons and to rest. And I have to say, it's been life-saving to me as a minister. I, I just don't know how I could possibly be a minister if I hadn't taken those intentional periods of rest. We asked the church back in 2009, could we take four weeks off in a row? And they came back and said, take 16 weeks off in a row. You are tired. And I sort of remember how that felt. The first sabbatical was so hard for me because I just felt so unneeded. And like I was supposed to be needed all the time or I'm not important. And sometimes it's hard to listen to the shepherd or to people around you who care about you. I remember the business meeting where that was approved in January and our time off would begin in June that year. I remember that business meeting where it was approved, and I came back in the office the next Monday morning, and the phone rang, and I literally jumped. And those were in the days when people called. <laughs> we didn't have caller ID, and I didn't know who it was. But I jumped, and I couldn't answer the phone. And I remember being short of breath. I'd never experienced anything like that before, but I had a panic attack. And I think the reason was because you kind people wanted to give me a rest. (laughs) And I suddenly realized how desperate I was to get that rest. And it felt like somebody who was out 
in an open body of water, and June felt way too far away to make it. And I thought I was going to drown. Because I didn't have a good pattern in my life of resting. I felt guilty resting. I didn't know how to do it. I was terrible at resting in my first sabbatical. Ask Teresa. Actually, it was 12 weeks. The first one was 12 weeks. That's right. Because week 11 is what Teresa says is when I finally rested. Put away the projects and started resting and realized how badly I needed. And I, I don't think I would have ever gotten there if I hadn't gone through the experience of resting. There's a phrase in Psalm 23 that's so easy to overlook. He restores my soul. And I think in our day and age, it's a really important reminder that we have a soul. We know we have bills to pay. We know we have a budget. We know we have people with needs all around us. We know we have worries and desires and wants. But we forget sometimes with all those other things that we have a soul. And we tend to overload our lives to the point that we no longer have room for a spiritual life. Your soul is like the garage in your house. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's that big space with that big door on it. The reason that door is so big is so you can park a car in it. Oh, but you know what happens. We tend to accumulate all these other things, and we're indecisive about what to do with all of those things. And they actually get in the way of parking a car inside the garage. Isn't it nice to park a car inside of a garage and not scrape the ice and all those good things? And it's just a metaphor for what we all do. We all try to carry too many bags in the grocery store. We all, we all try to pile on too much. And that's true not just with our schedules, with our finances. It's not just true with physical things of life. It's true emotionally. How many other people's burdens are you carrying as an enabler? Nobody's saying they feel guilty right now. This is okay. You don't have to say it out loud. Just promise you don't. But sometimes we're literally carrying the weight of other souls on our back. I wonder how much weight you carried in emotionally to this sanctuary. So much so that we have a hard time accepting the invitation of Jesus to rest. I, I don't deserve the rest. Somehow I, I look at myself and there's an insecurity and a fear there and, and I just can't rest. Jesus Christ is the only good shepherd. There's a lot of other shepherds out there that are competing for our attention and our time and promising restoration and good things and joy and happiness. But don't you believe that really only the good shepherd is able to restore our soul, the most important part of who we are, the eternal part of who we are? God made you to love you. He delights in you. You spending time with him. The second question is really similar to this one, I guess. It goes something like this. Are you in a hurry? (laughs) 
the late author Dallas Willard, who, oh, talk about profound, amazing, insightful man, identified hurry as the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. Oh, and by the way, he wrote that about 25 years ago. Have things slowed down in that amount of time in your experience? Here are some of the things he wrote. Hurry involves excessive haste or a state of urgency. It's associated with words such as hurl. I love that. Dallas Willard says it's associated with the word hurl. I just think that's hilarious. Hurdle, hurry blurry, hurry hurly burly, which means uproar, and hurricane. He identified it as a state of frantic effort one falls into. Get this. You ready? How do we get there? In response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. And now busyness doesn't sound like such a badge anymore. (laughs) Maybe the only reason I'm hyperactive is because I feel inadequate and I'm trying to make up for it. I'm afraid or I feel guilty. That's Dallas Willard, and and I think he's right on. He says the simplest essence of hurry is too much to do. The good of being delivered from hurry is not simply pleasure, but the ability to do calmly and effectively with strength and joy that which really matters. We should take it as our aim to live our lives entirely without hurry. We should form a clear intention to live without hurry one day at a time, and that means today. It it really is, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to give you four answers. (laughs) It really is a spiritual discipline to accept this moment with gratitude rather than bitterness, to accept it with a sense of receptivity rather than rush. This is a book that I only discovered a couple of years ago. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And that's actually a quote from Dallas Willard by John Mark Comer, a Portland pastor. And it just blew my socks off. One of the good things that came out of lockdown in COVID for me was reading this book. And really having not just my schedule re-examined, but my soul. He identifies what he calls four practices for unhurrying your life. So if you're wondering how to do this, oh, by the way, here's something he quotes in the book. The average smartphone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. And this is kind of an old book. I think it's at least five years old now. In my experience, that number isn't going down. And, and I'm not against technology. I really want you to understand that. Technology is not the enemy. Do you understand that? Hurry's been around since before the Internet. I promise you. <laughs> and so has fear. And so has inadequacy and guilt. That They've all been around. And we cover them with various ways. And some people are just more prone to overactivity as a remedy. And there's a lot of symptoms to it. They're, they're late to everything. They are grumpy. And, and one of the things about doing sabbatical and being challenged the way I feel God's spoken to me in the last few years 
and you've heard me say this before, but I really mean it. I'll keep saying it to keep me accountable. There is nothing more useless in the world than a cranky pastor. And I believe that with all my heart because I have been one before. And it's a very empty feeling. And, and it does prompt you to do what? To be even more busy to make up for it. So four practices for unhurrying your life, and, and these really are, I think, practical things. You might think of them as spiritual disciplines. Um, they're not new. They're not unique to him at all. Silence and solitude. Something Jesus practiced, right? He would go off on his own. I love singing the How Great Thou Art because the opening line has to do with sitting in nature and uh, really getting a glimpse of God's majesty through what he has made. This book was introduced to my wife first because she was a co-leader at a Sabbath by the Sea experience. And if you need a break and you know you're at a point where you need a break, that you just need to cancel everything and go, uh, there are a couple more weeks of Sabbath by the Sea going on in the month of January. Um, Patrice and I are co-leading this year and leading tomorrow. And I love the Oregon coast as a place of reflection. It's supposed to be stormy there the whole time. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Sometimes we need that, that... You know, I think of solitude not just as being alone, but as getting away from, removed from your ordinary routines and environments. And like I mentioned about retreat earlier during the service, sometimes it takes that disruption of normal to get a glimpse of what the shepherd's saying to us in a certain season of life. And it's a discipline, isn't it? What's the reason we can't go to retreats? It's not the food. <laughs> it's, it's we're too busy. A second discipline, Sabbath. Why don't we take Sabbath? We're too busy. It's interesting, um, Sabbath, I, I don't think of myself as a legalist, but I've started to do better with Sabbath in the last few years, and I'm still working on it. Saying no is hard to do. Working around commitments and other voices that want you to do things on time that you've set aside. It's not easy to do. Sabbath is an interesting discipline. We know that it comes from the Jewish faith, right? Old Testament law. But it is interesting. The fourth command is the longest in the list of commands, right? Literally, don't murder is two words in Hebrew. <laughs> but, but Sabbath is like, goes on and on and don't violate it and don't let anybody in your household violate it and and if you do, you're not going to live long in the land. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It comes. It's the only one of the promise. And so it's picked up in the book of Hebrews. And, of course, Jesus talked about Sabbath, didn't he? He talked about how it's really for us. Um, it's interesting, in the 14th century, uh, since the 14th century, the Ethiopian Christians have taken two days Sabbath as their normal pattern. I kind of like that. Because you have a day to delight and you have a day to worship. We know from Scripture, uh, Romans chapter 14, it doesn't matter which day. It's one day in seven. It's just we're wired that way that we need rest, regular rest. You go back to the book of Exodus. God's people are in slavery, right, in Egypt. 
one of the key differences between someone who is enslaved and someone who is free is that someone who is enslaved never gets a day off. They have to keep working seven days a week. They never get a day off. Have you ever noticed that when God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, he didn't just stop there. He always had another phrase. Do you remember what it was? Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. They were never given the opportunity of a day of rest. They were never given the opportunity to pull away from their labor to think about why it matters anyway and to give God all of the honor and to worship him. They were not allowed their time to worship him. And if you will, isn't that part of the definition of slavery? You don't get to choose to do that. You just keep working, you just keep working, you just keep working. Slavery is still alive and well, even in our culture. And a lot of times, we're simply slaves to our own decisions. We're slaves to our unwillingness to rest. We're slaves to our debt. We're not content to live within or under our means and to save money. And so because of that, we now need to service the debt with multiple jobs and more time and more time and more time. We're trading our time and our energy not just for the cash, but for the interest on top of it. Am am I wrong? It's alive and well in our culture. It's prolific. And so learning Sabbath is one way of breaking that. It's hard to do the deeper in enslavement that you are. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Sabbath was his idea. It wasn't for him necessarily. It was for you. And it was for me. And by the way, that makes it a time of delight. Not, not some somber occasion. Oh no, I have to rest. Um, there, there's a wonderful description of it. Um, I'll read a couple of lines. Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It's the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. This author um, has Sabbath on Saturdays as a pastor. And the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, we play, we dance, we're intimate, we sing, we pray, we laugh, we tell stories, we read, we paint, we walk, and we watch creation in its fullness. And, and he talks about more than that. It's an invitation. It's not a legalism. It's an invitation to love. It's a bid for affection that God gives to us. Will you trust me to lay aside the worries long enough to worship me and rest? This goes closely along with the third discipline of simplicity. Not overcommitting. Wonderful book out there. It's kind of old now called Margin. And, you know, it's the old idea your teacher said, don't write in the margin of the paper. Save 20%. So you do that with your finances. You do that with your time. You don't, you don't overcommit it. And then when the emergencies come, you can use that margin where you need it. But simplicity it, it, it involves paring things down. Um, <laughs> I have a friend over here that helped me move that won't believe this, but I pared my closet in half before I moved. I just want you to know. <laughs> Why do we need the 
clothes that collect dust. We don't. Uh, James talks about that. On my computer desktop, this was a really practical idea. And this is a pastor that has kind of a mega church, and now he's sort of started his own ministry, but it's not that he's not busy. Uh, he says he only checks his email twice a day. But what he does is he clears the inbox down to zero twice a day. So he files appropriately the things that are needed for later reference, but only lets it cross his desk once and gets it done, and then it's gone. So I'm happy to tell you, I cleared my inbox down to zero 14 times this week. And I have to tell you that, did you know that on Microsoft Outlook, it has a little hot air balloon icon, and it says you're all done for the day, enjoy your empty inbox? Some of you have never seen it, I can tell. I make it a game. I want to see my balloon. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of all these emails. But you know what it is? It's simplicity. Because when your email comes, I see it. It's not lost in the sea of emails. That's important. It's annoying for me to have to say to you, if you send me an important email, text me. That makes you responsible for me, right? That's a lack of simplicity in life. If you don't like email, just get rid of email. <laughs> I think that's okay too. Just call me. Okay, I'll call you. <laughs> I'm okay with that. On my desktop, simplicity. On my desktop, I have no icons on it. So if I'm working on something, I'll temporarily pop a file on there until it's done. My desktop's it's got a great picture of my grandson, as you would imagine. But, <laughs> but think about that. There really are some practical ways we can simplify if we choose to simplify. And that's just the beginning. Slowing. Slowing is cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place yourself where you simply will have to wait. Picking the slow lane on purpose picking the longest line on purpose and paying attention to what's going on around you rather than being frustrated that it's not going fast enough. I know you've never heard of spiritual discipline like that, right? Unless you've read some of Richard Foster's stuff. Fridays for me, I take Fridays and Saturdays off as best I can. Often those need to get moved around and that's fine. But Friday morning is my grandpa time. And I love it when Brooks comes to my house because I do not, on purpose, plan to do anything else. And it's interesting hanging out with a one-year-old for several hours. You begin to discover joy in life. But if we're just trying to multitask while these annoying kids are around, <laughs> we, we just lose the value of what God has placed in front of us. Brooks slows me down. You know, when he has his Play-Doh and wants to make something, it, it takes a lot longer than what I could do. And I think about how patient God is with me. He's my father. He doesn't love me for the beautiful things I can make or the impressive things that I can accomplish. He loves me because I am his.
and kids Brooks' age are able to soak that in. They appreciate it. They're not in a hurry. And unless we become like children, we miss the kingdom of God. To me, what this really all comes down to is obedience. My final question is, are you willing to wear Jesus' yoke? One of my favorite passages by far is Matthew 11, 20, 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus talks about his leadership with us and over us as a different domesticated animal. Psalm 23 is about sheep. And Matthew 11, this portion, is about oxen. Not really flattering to us, is it? But I think what I love about this visual picture is, of course, a yoke is partnering. A yoke means togetherness. It means going at Jesus' pace. It means being willing to go when he goes. And it means being willing to stop when he says stop. Instead of bristling against the yoke and creating all kinds of blisters and soreness and problems with our neck because Jesus is stronger. His yoke is easy. It's well-fitting. Jesus knows what's best for us. He sets the pace well. One of my telltale signs as to whether I'm doing really well with this pace thing or not is really about whether I'm willing to be interrupted. Well, it's more about whether I'm willing to be interrupted with grace. <laughs> and I can feel it on the inside. Am I just anxious in this conversation? For Jesus, people were never an interruption to his mission. They are his mission. And I think the same is supposed to be true for us, too. I want to invite us to spend a few minutes listening in open worship. Inviting God to speak to us personally. And then we'll finish with, I think, some announcements and a closing song. Hear these words as we walk into this moment of prayer together. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.